Well, we have a guest in the studio with me today. I'm very excited today to visit with storyteller, as she calls it, uh, author of a new book entitled A Woman Called Myrn, uh, Dr. Deborah Burris. Debbie, good to see you. Thank you so much for having me, Will. So I'm excited to talk to you about this book, but I want to begin the show today by getting to know who you are. And uh, many people know you from your professional career decades as a educator. So if you're thinking, is it that Deborah Burris? Yes, it is uh, Deborah Burris, the administrator at Carbondale High School and in the university in music education. So I'll let you tell me, who is Deborah Burris? Well, I think most people would remember me around Murfreesboro as a teenager in high school and uh, <laughs> as a young adult in college doing the Apple Festival musicals and mm -hmm. uh, running up and down the street begging for things <laughs> for the musicals. But um, I had the pleasure of growing up there from high school on. Mm -hmm. What year did you graduate high school, if we 19, can date you? 1972. 1972. And what years were you coordinating those musicals you're talking about? Uh, until 1978. Mm -hmm. Also, the 4th of July celebrations uh, in uh, 1976, I believe, the park at Riverside had over 25,000 wow. attending that. It was a little different than what they do now. It was a full variety show. Yeah, and there was a carnival and lots of things lots went on. Lots of things. Um, Today, it's a couple of musical acts on the bandstand and the uh, fireworks. We still attract a couple thousand folks. It seems like over the years, there was just a handful of communities that did fireworks on the 4th of July, Murfreesboro being one of them. But it seems like today, almost every town has a fireworks Absolutely. display. Absolutely. You'd almost have to have that variety show and... Uh I'd say the Murfreesboro Municipal Band and Union Band playing in order to steal some of those uh, fireworks watchers over to Murfreesboro. Right. Well, in any case, you uh, grew up in Murfreesboro and then uh, you taught and were involved in education at which various schools? Uh, Carbondale High School from 77 to 88. Moved to a little bit of adjunct professor work at John A. Logan at the same time, and then also a few years in the School of Music at SIU, mm -hmm. and left and went to um, Ohio, where I was faculty and professor uh, over music education at Baldwin-Wallace Conservatory, and uh, was there seven years and had the opportunity to come home, and came home and went into straight education, mm -hmm. training all the uh, future teachers uh, that came out of SIU. What was the initial spark at a young age that you could remember that drew you to an interest in music? I referred to it in the book as my drug of choice. <laughs> uh, while other kids were maybe into other things, uh, I couldn't get enough music. And um, it might have been for all the hardships we went through and losing family members. It was another way to express myself other than through words, but yeah. I just couldn't get enough of it. The book that you have written is entitled A Woman Called Myrn. It is a memoir. It's a very personal uh, story. Uh, when Was there a specific moment when you decided this book is uh, pretty substantial that you were going to do this? 
after I retired in December of 16, I had this urge or, or maybe someone tapped me on the shoulder from above and said, you need to tell Mern's story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was like an obsession. I had to get it told to give her the honor in death that she never got in life. And so, I think a lot of people are like that. So let's just ask a question from the top then. Who is Mern? Mern was an extraordinary woman who fought polio back in 1907. Uh, she was the weakest of probably eight children and was the one who was the strongest and took care of everyone. Mm-hmm. Raised other people's children, couldn't have children of her own, was a woman of faith, active in her church, and uh, I was fortunate that she raised me my whole life. And... Um, just a remarkable woman that had the gift from God to love people regardless of their flaws. Mm. And how did she come to be taking care of you? Well, my mother and my dad divorced when I was six years old. And uh, my mother had some problems that at that point in time would have been in the 1960s. Uh, emotional problems, which came from her upbringing and young years. And she took me, of course. The mother always got the do- the child. Right. And my dad and uh, my Aunt Marion, who is Myrne, and my Uncle Everett would come and visit me. And I was so insecure with my mother, a very sad child. Uh, didn't feel safe, didn't feel secure. And when they would come, uh, it was a major upset. And the last time uh, that something happened was when I pulled the buttons off my dad's shirt. Mm. And when they drove back to Carroll, we were in Charleston at the time, uh, they said, what are we going to do? She can't go through that again, and neither can we. And that's when they filed for custody. Uh, My dad said they're not going to give a man custody of of a little girl. And they said, do you want us to get it? And he said, I think that would be the best. So my life changed as a seven-year-old uh, because I went to live with Myrn and Et as they were known. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an interesting. You know, I call my grandmother Betty to this day Daggy because when I was a small child, I could pronounce Betty properly. Uh, and it came out daggy. And uh, that's a similar reason why this uh, a woman called Myrn, uh, you as a child pronounced Marion as Myrn. That's right, Myrn, and I couldn't say Everett, so it was Et-Et. Et-Et and Myrn. This book is set uh, in southern Illinois in a variety of places. Uh, places. Tell us about that. Well, um, my I grew up in Cairo during my early years, other than the small time I was in Charleston with my mother. And um, then we moved to Murfreesboro in 1969. They had announced they were cutting band out of the curriculum, and they knew that was important to me. My uncle had had a stroke, and he was retired. And so there was no reason for us not to come to Murfreesboro. Mm -hmm. And um, from then on, I I was here. I'd never wanted to leave here. Uh, until I was offered the job at Baldwin Wallace and uh, some of my old professors, and I use that term 
not accurately, but some of my senior professors uh, said you can't turn that job down. So I noticed in this book that uh, Tams, Olive Branch, Villa Ridge, Cape Girardeau, St. Louis, East Prairie, Missouri. I mean, you were moving around a lot as a as a young kid. I don't think my mother was happy anywhere where my father and she lived. Mm. So there was a lot of getting to a different house or a better house, whatever. And then my aunt and uncle, Myrna and Ed, they moved to be closer to me always. And then they would move to be closer to a school where I could walk to school. So I had a lot of lot of events done simply to make my life as good as it could be. So who is the target audience for this book? Who do you think would get the most out of this book, uh, A Woman Called Myrne? Well, in my mind, anyone who has ever loved anyone would get the most out of this book, uh, and especially if they've lost that person. Anyone who is a Christian would be... Um, what would you call it, filled, their soul filled by reading about this extraordinary woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, any young person who is being raised by someone other than their parents, any parent who uh, thinks that they were raised or their child is being raised by someone other than them. I think the intro to the book, or the prologue, said it really well, which is, Uh, It's for all these different people and for anyone who is a woman like Myrne and a child like me. Mm -hmm. She said that she was quite the woman of faith and she was really involved in her church. Can you talk about how that manifested itself in her day-to-day routine? Sure. I mean, she was a church clerk for 20 years. My uncle was a deacon. At what church? At Washington Avenue Baptist Church in Carroll, Illinois. Okay. And um, she was Bible school director. But in her daily life, every move she made, whether it was her own move or a move in dealing with other people or any problems, uh, she went straight to God in prayer. And I'm sure she prayed every second of every day. Mm-hmm. Um she was always singing. In fact, I have no doubt when, uh, before she passed away, that she was singing at the kitchen sink, mm. uh, one of the hymns, either uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus or one of the old Baptist hymns. And that's what she did, even in her wheelchair, rolling through the hallway, singing a hymn. Mm-hmm. So all of my problems in my life, whether it was needing a new trumpet or needing to go on a trip with the uh, some of my fellow students, she would always pray about it. And when it was job time uh, in the book, I talk about being offered a job that I really didn't want. And she just put her arm around me and said, you don't have to take a job you don't want. We'll pray about it. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I landed the Carbondale High School job and it was a miracle. I got to do everything I wanted to, choir, band, orchestra, musicals. So I, in turn, had faith in Myrn because she seemed to be able to get everything done. Right. Well, it's wonderful to have those sort of rocks of faith in your life because they become northern stars that you can look to uh, in 
times of decision, you know. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, those sorts of folks, I think a lot of people, the interesting thing about this book, A Woman Called Myrn, I think there are, if, if people will buy this book and read this book, they will be able to relate her story perhaps to somebody else in their own family. It's like a fanfare for the common woman is what I said earlier today before we got on the air. Is it, would you agree that's kind of what this book is? I think that's wonderful. And I wish um, Aaron Copeland had called it fanfare for the common, <laughs> common woman, woman instead right. of the common man. <laughs> right. <laughs> but maybe we can get another composer to write that one. Sure, sure. Uh, where could people buy the book? It's available on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, and all you have to do is put in a woman called Myrn or Deborah L. Burris, and it will come up. Now, you started working on this in 2017, so this was something that was a product of time. Yes. And was it uh, something where you well, you told me you worked on it in a specific place during a specific period of the year? I did. My writing place was on my patio. And as soon as it would get warm enough for me to be outside, I would go out and start at 9 o'clock in the morning and look up, and it would be 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, And I would do that every day in the summer and in the fall. And then once it was time to go in, I just kind of shut the computer down and Mm -hmm. waited till the next spring. How'd you know when you were done? It was at the most tragic point for me Mm. and I thought that was a good ending because my life changed when she was no longer in it but there's more to come I understand there is more to come I don't know that it will uh, bring about the same feelings but I ended this book when I was 31 years old And I'm 68 now, so I've got a lot more to tell. And some of the people in this book, uh, no one knows what happened to them. So I have that story to tell as well. So you're still still writing, essentially, at this point, a a not-yet-finished sequel to this book. Absolutely. Uh, Before we let you go today, can you share just a little vignette of the book, a, a little portion of a chapter from memory that you think is particularly compelling? Well, I think um, one of the, uh, one event that I I referred to in the book, which was lighthearted, but it goes back to my years in Murfreesboro High School. Uh Uh, Having lost my dad and my uncle while I was in high school, my uh, friends were basically the students that I I was in band with. And um, every Friday night or Saturday night, we would go uh, bowling. Mm -hmm. Uh, A couple of the people are now business owners in Murfreesboro, so I won't name them. (laughs) They'll know who they are if they hear this. Okay. But we always went bowling. Uh, We were good kids. And I remember one night, we we were always home by curfew. And one night we had, it was a good summer night, we had those little short socks to wear on your bowling shoes. And for some reason, we were all eating raisins. I have no idea Mm. why it was raisins. But there were three of us in the front seat, three in the back seat. And we were taking one of the kids home. And we were on Old Route 13. And we made the curve right at 
Pump House Road. We had know exactly where absolutely used to have that little concrete brick house there. Uh, we turned, and he had his dad's large car, and he took that shoulder a little too short, or wide, I guess, and all of a sudden the car slid into the ditch, and there were three piled on top of each other in the front or the back. It was dead silence. Balled up socks went all over the car, uh, raisins all over the car, and we sat there, and I describe it as six raccoons with big eyes going, what now? Right. <laughs> and then the driver, he said, well, I guess we need to do something about this now. <laughs> and so we climbed out of it like a clown car <laughs> with six kids sitting in the dark as night. And um, well, they, two of the boys walked up to a house and called uh, one's dad. He came after us. They called our parents to say nothing's wrong. And, uh, yeah, I think that car had a few scratches on it from sliding into the ditch. Well, it sounds like nobody was badly injured, though. No, not at all. No. In fact, we giggled the whole way home. <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming over, and I was uh, very happy the, uh, to get to talk to you about this book. It's called A Woman Called Myrn, A Story of Love, Loss, and Perseverance. Myrn is spelled M-U-R-N. And the uh, author is Deborah Burris. She has been our guest in the studio today. Um, I'll give you the last word. Buy the book and read it. Amen. That's the best. <laughs> that's the best pitch a person can give. Thank you. We'll take the first break of the day, and we'll be back with more after this.